You know, today we are continuing our, or we're beginning a new series of messages called Classic Rock. Now, uh, uh, whenever we were talking about this, the idea is for us to take some, some, uh, some songs from the past and just look at them from a biblical perspective. And I'm sure some of the songs we're going to be going through, you thought, I never knew that had a biblical perspective. Uh, well, maybe it didn't, but we're just going to act like that it did. And so when we were looking up the series, uh, talking about classic rock, I was talking to our staff about it, talking to Matthew and James. And uh, to me, classic rock is the, 19, the 1960s. And uh, I'm the old guy on staff, which is really odd. And they're like, no, that's not classic rock. I mean, it's like ancient. They said, classic rock is the 1980s. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. That's like relevant. That's like recent. And uh, so anyway, it makes me feel really old. So we began to look through some of the, uh, some of the songs. And, and one of the songs that, uh, that we came up with or that, was, that I saw that I thought, man, this sort of typifies 1980s to me, was the song, is the song Tainted Love. Any of y'all remember that song? There's actually, a Le- I believe, the Levi's commercial where they did it, uh, a Tainted Love commercial. But it's, I'll just give you a little background about the song. It's, it's very, y'all probably didn't know, there's, it's, it's deep. Uh, there's just a, there's a big message in that song, but what happens is there's a guy in the song, he falls in love with a girl, and uh, he, he really cares about her, or so he thinks, but as time goes on, he begins to understand, man, this is, this is not satisfying me. Uh, as a matter of fact, we, if y'all would, we'll just, we're just going to play, y'all, you're thinking, good night, they're going to play cla- uh, Tainted Love in Church just a little bit, because I want y'all to remember the song. So if you would just play, we're just going to play a little bit of that song. I'm not going to sing it, but go ahead. <laughs> oh, that's probably good enough. <laughs> yeah, isn't that, that is such a great song. Uh, now, now, I know that you're probably, some of y'all are getting ready to, you know, think I should have worn my parachute pants today. But I just want to give you all the opening lyrics to the song. It says, sometimes I feel i got to run away. I've got to get away. From the pain that you drive into the heart of me. The love we share seems to go nowhere, and I've lost my light, for I toss and turn, and I can't sleep at night. Now, I would quote the rest of it, but I'm, I'm going to break into song if we do. But in that song right there, I thought, you know, that there is so much of what's happening in that song that still takes place today. There are so many people who are looking and searching for love. And man, they, they, they're trying to get their hands around. It's almost like you know, we're, we search after the Holy Grail, but we can't quite find it. And we're looking for something that's going to bring meaning and purpose in our lives. And we, we hang on to something for a while, only to discover after a period of time that it doesn't do for us what we thought that it would. And there's complete dissatisfaction. And I just want you to know that the only kind of love that you are going to find and discover in your life that's going to last, that's going to make a difference, that's going to fulfill you, is a love that comes from God. And today in our passage of Scripture, we're going to see the Apostle Paul point out to us, and I really believe, and it's a little bit different than what you have in your sermon notes today, but one of the things that Paul points out to us is just some, some simple obstacles that stand in the way or stand between us and the fulfilling love of God. And so if you have your Bible, we're going to look in Romans chapter 1 in verse number 18 in in just a few moments, and we're going to discover some of these obstacles that we have. But Paul wrote this letter to the Christians who were living in Rome, 
And, uh, and if, you, if you want to discover some of the greatest questions and answers that were ever given about the Christian faith, the book of Romans is a, it is a deep book. And it's worth reading, and it takes some time to go through it and pay attention to what it says. But before Paul begins to answer some of these really deep questions about our faith, he talks about, he talks about love. And he talks about how man seeks after a tainted love that does not bring satisfaction. You know, it's interesting to me that in entertainment, you know, some of the most popular movies, the most popular books that we read are, you know, they're they're typically about the guy who's, you know, trying to get the girl. And there's always a struggle, but in the end, he finally gets her. And then in uh, some of the books that we read, we read about the underdog in life. And as time goes on, he's able to rise up and he's able to have victory. And that's satisfaction and it's joy. But more often than not, that stuff, it just happens in entertainment. Because so much of what we're seeking for, is it's it's not real. And it's tainted. And and Paul shares with us some of the the things that that cause us to struggle in finding real love from God. And, and one of the things he talks about is an, is an obstacle, really, is, is, is our, our own human intelligence. It can be an obstacle. And it's, it's not that God's against us using our, our mind, but it's the way that we use it. I want to share with you in verses 18 through 20. It says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness, Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and His divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. There is a view in our world that as time passes, man gets smarter and smarter, that our knowledge increases and grows and grows. And if you, look at, if you look at technology and you look at our world, you have to say, well, that, that seems to be true. I mean, have you all noticed how much technology has just ch- changed? I mean, even the last ten years, I mean, even, I guess, the last couple of years. You know, think about some of the stuff that we have. I mean, we have, you have these iPads now. You have, I mean, basically your telephone is, I mean, goodness, it's like a small computer. Um, we have... Oh my God! I mean, there's just—I mean, like I talked about last week, you have—you uh, can actually get movies on streaming. You can access any movie that you want through your television. I mean, it, the, the technology is just exploding, and you would think all this stuff is saying man is smart, man is wise, that we have so much more knowledge than we ever have before. And yet, I read an article in the paper about three weeks ago in Sunday's paper by John Rosemond, and he said in his article, he said. American test scores among our children continue to decrease. And I'm just like, well, we're getting smarter, and yet our test scores continue to decrease. Now, now what, is, what is up with that? Now, I, I really don't think it's a political problem in general. I mean, did you all know Americans, we spend more money per child on education than any nation in the world, and yet our scores are still falling? Now, I don't think it's a political problem. I think ultimately... That there is a spiritual problem that's going on. Paul tells us that God's wrath and displeasure is being revealed through the godlessness and wickedness of man. That is what continues to increase. I I don't think that many of us are going to argue the point that over time that 
that there's this, gosh, the, the basic values and the virtues that we once held to, they seem to be sliding more and more by the wayside. Uh, just as a, a little example, an anecdotal example, is uh, uh, in, from 1990 to the year 2000, every, every state had a decrease in church involvement and attendance except for Hawaii. Which was shocking to me. I was like, Hawaii had an increase? Every state but Hawaii decreased in involvement, activity in the church. Today, only 18.7% of Americans regularly are involved in church life. Now, that, that's just a small piece of the, the picture here, a small piece of the puzzle, but I think it helps, helps paint the picture for Paul's point where Paul says that man is suppressing the truth of God and God's word. That word suppress means to hold down. And I think that the way that is playing out so much in our world today is we see what God teaches us in his word. And we know that God says he loves us and he wants to experience his love. But we hold down and we push away the word of God so that we can choose to live in a way that we want to. And whenever God gives us directions in here, it's because he loves us. But if it goes against what we want to do, you know what we typically do? We run roughshod over Scripture and what God teaches because He loves us and says, you know what, I'm going to choose my own way. And maybe I'll find love, real love that way. You know, one of my least favorite parts of, 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 of my job is hearing people talk to me about their involvement in sin. And you know, that just happens. It's just part of it. You know, people come and talk to you. So this is what I'm involved in. I'm not. You know, I'm, I'm, there's there's some problems I have because of this. Just wanted to share with you. And and very often, what people will do is they'll come in and they'll talk to me, and they will tell me I'm involved in this type of lifestyle. I know that it goes against Scripture, but it makes me happy. And so they say because because God wants me to be happy, it can't be wrong. Some will keep doing it. Now, okay, logically that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, but I want to say this. I want you to know this. I want you to know that, that your chief aim in life is not to be happy. Did you know that? Now, you might think, well, good, good gracious, then what is it? Your chief aim in life is not to be happy. Your chief aim in life as a creation of God is to be obedient to God, to be obedient to his leadership, and coming to the conclusion that, that God knows more about life than you do, and than I do. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. He says, as, as, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now, being obedient to God does not mean that you're going to be miserable. And I think that's a great fear that we have. See, whenever we're obedient to God, you know what you discover? You discover meaning, fulfillment. You discover joy. You discover the love of God. 
You discover that God cares about you. Now, am I saying it's easy to be obedient to God? Absolutely not. It's not always easy. That's what Jesus said this. He said in Luke 9, 23, if anyone would come after me, he said he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now, if you make a decision that you are going to live outside of the leadership of God, what you're doing is God has a path for your life that he wants you to travel on. He says, if you get off this road, this path, he says, then, then you're getting on a very rocky road, and it's going to lead to some very dire consequences. God has a road for you that he wants you to travel. Jesus again said in Matthew seven thirteen and 14, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Now, when we suppress God's truth, we ignore the road God's laid out for us, and we get, so to speak, off-road in our travels. Y'all ever driven off-road? Now, for, I know some of you, some of you have, you're equipped for that. But let me tell you something. It is, a, it is a rough ride when you go off-road. When my son Hank turned 16, he took over the truck. And a truck, our truck has a, like 250,000 miles on it. It's been a great truck. And so Hank got the truck, and after he'd been driving it for a while, he said, Dad, the truck, it lurches whenever I drive it. And so he's like, I don't know what's going on with the car. And, uh, and so I said, well, let me take a look at it. You know, like, you know, like I know anything about cars. I mean, you can look at me and tell this guy doesn't know squat about cars. And so, you know, you can pop the hood, and I'll look at it and go, see all that silver stuff in there? That's metal. You know, and then, so anyway, so I'll look at it, so I'm, I'm looking at it, and I, God, I can't figure out what's going on. So I drive around, it's lurching around, and so uh, I take it, you know, I do the next best, best thing. I take it to a mechanic, and the mechanic begins to look at it, and he comes out, and he goes, let me ask you a question. He said, do you drive this truck off-road? And I'm like, have you not looked at me? He's like, dude, I don't do any off-road driving. And so he goes, well, he goes, somebody does, which would be my son Hank, and uh uh, so he looks under the car, shows me under the truck, and the outside, you know, he's, Hank's pretty smart. He washes the outside, but he doesn't get underneath it, and it's just caked with mud. And a lot of the wires have, were pulled out, and apparently those wires mean something. And so it caused the, caused the truck to lurch, and it wasn't driving right. So he had to replace some of the wires. Now, now here's the lesson in all of this. When you get off-road, it messes you up. When you get off-road, you do not function and work the way you should when you stay on the path God has in mind for you. Now, there's an obstacle that oftentimes stands between us and God. And it's, we think we're smarter than God. It's our intelligence, which leads me to the next one. So yeah, we have intelligence, but the next one is ignorance. Ignorance can serve as a... As a Gosh, a, 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 not a boundary, a, an obstacle between us and discovering love that's not tainted. Now, I'm going to read to you from verses 21 through 23. It says, For although they knew God, they knew Him. It says they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking, these are some words I want you to remember, they became, became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. I really think it's almost impossible to walk outside and look at creation and go, man, all this came about by some huge cosmic accident. And I don't know how you can do that. I mean, I go out and I look at nature and I see the intricacies of life. 
I mean, there is a God. I mean, there is something amazing about our creation. You know, d- deep within each person, God has planted within us a knowledge of himself. You know, in, in the world, when you start going all over the world, over 90% of our world population believes that there is a God. And that's, that's, that's unbelievable. I believe God has placed that within us. Yet even though there's a recognition that there is a God by most people, Paul wrote that people typically refuse to give God the place of honor that he deserves. What do we typically do? We typically say, I'm going to be God. And God is here in order to serve me. We don't glorify God, we glorify ourselves. Now there's nothing that happens whenever we refuse to recognize God in our lives as leaders. The thing that Paul says, if you look back in our verse, he says, our thinking becomes futile. The way you think becomes futile. That word futile, another word for futile is hopelessness. When you remove God from life, let me tell you what happens. There is, there is hopelessness. You know, whenever you discover tainted love, gosh, it's empty. Without God, there is hopelessness in life. You remove, you remove God from family and from leadership of your family. What do we discover? Let me tell you what some of the things we've discovered. You remove God, you discover broken and busted marriages. You discover children that are emotionally scarred when you remove God. When you remove God... From your ethics, from the way you make decisions, let me tell you where that gets us. It gets us into hopelessness, where in the last 40 years, 53 million children have been aborted. And for some reason we think there's no consequences to be, to be paid with that. Our thinking becomes futile. It's hopeless. He says our hearts become darkened. You move God, you become dark. That, that word darkened is really, it's an interesting term. It means to have no eyes. <laughs> That's a good description, isn't it? If you don't have eyes, you can't see, right? If you can't see, you don't know where you're going. You're bumping around. You don't know where the boundaries are because you are darkened. When we remove God, we don't understand where the boundaries are that God set up for us. I, you know, I was thinking about that. I remember whenever we moved here. You know, I remember when we came out to the, we, we built the project, built the building, and uh, the, the parking lot out of here was, you all know, remember it wasn't paved when we first had it out there. It was gravel. And when it, it was gravel, there was no stripes there. There were no wheel stops. And so the, the first Sunday when we all parked out there, uh, what, what, kind of, what kind of an atmosphere does that create? Well, parking's willy-nilly. You know, you go out there and there's no, there's no, you don't know where to go. So we just started parking everywhere and it was crazy. And we didn't park as many cars on there as we could have because there were no boundaries. Now, once we paved it and put lines in, everybody knows where to go. You know, we can see them. We know where we can park the cars. And and it it was easier to get off the church property, off the site, whenever whenever we had a a little traffic flow that showed you exactly where to go. Now, Now, whenever we try to live life without the boundaries of God, Life gets willy-nilly. When we shut out the light of God's word, we can't see God's design for life. And we live life without boundaries, and it's destructive. 
That's why Colossians 2.8 says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. The wisdom of this world that says, Seek love here is going to sorely disappoint you. Because you're going to find out that, that you're not able to see what God wants for you, and you're going to be unfulfilled. And what are some boundaries that stand between us and, and God's love? It's our own intelligence. We try to think we're smarter than God, but then it shows us our ignorance. And I just want to show you this last one, or point out to you the last one, last obstacle that stands between us and, and discovering God's love. It's, it's our indulgence. Our indulgence is people. Last two verses, verses 24 and 25, it says, Therefore God gave them over in their sinful desire, the desi- desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity, for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. If we ignore the leadership of God, what we do is we put ourselves in his place and we say, I'm going to be God. And if we're God, that means everything's on the table. I can, I can live like I want to and I'm not going to have to pay any consequences whatsoever. And if we get to that point, what God does, because God doesn't force his way into our lives, what God does is God says, okay, you choose that, you have the right to choose that. He said, but I'm going to allow the natural consequences of that decision to play out in your life. He says, I'll give you over to your sinful desires. Now, let me share with you a scary verse about this. It's Judges ten thirteen. It says, this is God. He says, you have forsaken me and served other gods, the Lord said to Israel. He says, therefore, I will deliver you no more. When I read that verse, I mean, it got my attention. I ignore God. I refuse his love. God says there comes a time, he says, that's fine, you can choose that, but I will deliver you no more. I don't know about y'all, I need deliverance. I need all the help that I can get. Now you can say, well, I'm a pretty mature person, I think I can make good decisions on my own. Let me tell you something, on our own, we have a natural bent to be evil, to to be self-indulgent. Romans 3, 10 through 12 says there is no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. On our own, we, we seek to indulge ourselves. And Paul talks about this, and he mentions this in the, in, in the verses we just read and the verses following. We indulge ourselves sexually. Says we, we, we seek after our own pleasures. We ignore God, seek after our own pleasures. And what Paul's talking about in these verses, he says that that kind of a relationship is only going to be blessed when it takes place between a husband and a wife. He said, if it ever falls outside of those bounds, he said, it is a tainted love. And it will not satisfy you. And I said, was God, is God trying to. You know, be a cosmic killjoy. Just you know, that this is my life. I want to. I want to enjoy myself. It's it's not that God's a cosmic killjoy. God is doing these things, setting up boundaries to protect us. You can say, well, I don't need any protection. Hey, let me tell you, just from from my perspective, what I've seen, I talk to a ton of people whose lives have been destroyed because there's been no boundaries in their sex life. 
See, marriage is wiped out. I've seen emotional, deep emotional scars that occurred 20, 30 years ago that people still have in their lives because they did not stay within the boundaries of God. I've seen disease. I've seen unwanted pregnancy. And I'm reminded even more that decisions we make in the dark are never good decisions. A guy named Alan Johnson, he's a commentator, he said, Without God, there are no abiding truths. There are no lasting principles or norms. And man is cast upon a sea of speculation and skepticism and attempted self-salvation. Because you want something does not mean that it's best for you. I've learned this, I mean, I've learned this firsthand. There's a lot of things I want that I know aren't best for me. Uh, the last the last couple of years, Emily, I've, I've been looking. You know, I've, I've, I'm on this particular kind of diet that I have to follow. And so one thing Emily found for me is almonds. Y'all, I never knew how good almonds were. Might have discovered this. They have cocoa. Um, they have wasabi almonds. They have uh, lime chili, which are my favorite. Um, I mean, I can, they have cinnamon. I can go through a ton of them. Uh, they have so many different kinds of almonds. Emily started buying them for me. I, I want almond. After I ate, I was like, I want these. And so I started eating. Y'all, I ate so many of them, and I'm doing better, but I started eating so many almonds. I was eating, I'm serious, over $20 of almonds a week. That is ridiculous. I'm, I'm talking like the jars like this a week, they're gone. Now, what I discovered is after I would eat almonds like that is um, I get sicker than a dog eating almonds. And I don't recommend it, and I'm not going to tell you anymore, but if you do it, you'll understand. It is horrid. Now, they taste so good that I still... Now, what the, what's the answer for me? The answer for me is to curb my almond intake. But you know what? I've allowed my wants to override what's best for me. And because of that, I pay a price. All right, now, the same idea is true in life. There are so many of us who are so desperate for love, so desperate to be wanted and to be cared for, that we are even willing to throw God out to seek after somebody or something that we think is going to give it to us. Think They're going to give me love. And I know it's outside of God's will and outside of God's bounds that he set for me, but I want it so bad that I'm going to go after it. Then what happens? It will sicken you. And it will destroy your life. Just because you want it doesn't mean that it's best for you. You want to find real love? It happens with God. It happens with Jesus. And my hope is that whenever you look into this word, that, that this book, that you're going to discover the kind of love that God has for you. You look at the book of John and read through John. You know how much God loves you? Romans 5.8 says, in that while you were still a sinner, while we were evil, God didn't wait for us to get better. He said he allowed his son Jesus to die for us while we were still sinners. Jesus went to a cross and he paid a price for us. Not, not that he owed anybody, we do. And Jesus said, because I love you, I'm going to pay that price for you. Jesus doesn't look at us and say, you know, I'm going to start loving you when you get your act together. He says, I love you now. I love you when I created you. What kind of love do you want? 
I want to love where God is going to love me not based off of performance, but based off of the fact that he just simply chooses to love me. Now we have a choice. Love, tainted love, or God's love. Jesus said in John 10 and 10, I have come that you might have life and have it to the fill. That's how God loves you. Mm-hmm.